A buen hombre, no hay panduro. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Spanish for to good hunger. There is no hard bread. <laughs> or roughly analogous to beggars can't be choosers. And you know, this circuit isn't known for producing bangers, but hey, I'll watch it. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I enjoy the particular flavor of hard bread that the circuit, uh, the Barcelona Catalonia provides us, especially given another, we, we've had a lot of these two, these week long breaks and I hate them. So I'm glad we're, we're not, we're not going to shake that off for a little while here. Uh, no stranger himself to hard tack. Rob Zachney is here. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Fingers crossed the, uh, the new aero regulations do throw up a better F1 race because I feel like Catalonia is a good venue for everyone but F1. Like, legendary venue <laughs> for uh, motorcycles, like good sports car racing. F1, we're working on it. <laughs> uh, if you're new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. And if you are new to Formula One itself, we've got an episode just for you. Our preseason primer episode assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month in Patreon land, Danny? Our cup floweth over at the moment. It floweth over with, with wine, with Australian wine. Um, <laughs> we uh, we just yesterday recorded our uh, taste test of Daniel Ricardo's Vino, which he released last year and which our terrific patron Circuit Demon had shipped to California for us. So we, we popped the cork on it last night and recorded a video. So I'll be going up for um, Media Pass patrons uh, who who enjoy, uh, albeit infrequent, but good stuff on the video field, uh, video front. So I'm excited to get that out to them. Um, we also have a, a Patreon-exclusive podcast we recorded about the a documentary Need for Weed, part of Netflix's Bad Sports series. Um Really good documentary. It was recommended by a bunch of patrons. We all really enjoyed it. Uh, talking about the IMSA and Indy 500 racer Randy Lanier, who uh, financed a sporting enterprise off the back of a weed enterprise. And it was a uh, pretty interesting, uh, heartwarming in some ways and haunting in other ways. A story about a love of speed and a love of the marijuana those jazz cigarettes it was a real um enjoyable watch i'm glad we did it and all of this is thanks to our terrific patrons including our title sponsors michael maves gordy's army Indy winter talking autos uh, tanner mcleave bulgarian bonbon olivia evans team blackjack pyrites card castle erica siegel iron station studios alan mccrary telemetry duck.com Hmm. That is not that is not a typo. I looked at it. It works. Gnarly Goat, <laughs> David Mule, Drew Stewart, Abdul uh, sorry, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Bunny Thorpe Modem Noises Crimes, Jerome Comeo, uh, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Valtar, Circuit Demon, Troy Stammer, Humberto Roca, William Romph, and Jason Kelly. Jason Kelly. Fan. 
fantastic. I know. We've no more space on the car. I know. I know. <laughs> Although, if you want to become a title sponsor, I'm sure we can. You know, under on the underside of the car, maybe. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. For when uh, it has to get lifted up by the crane. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> you know when that when you when we beach our car and we have to we have to haul it out of the sand. We have only the best the drivers. Underside. Maybe you're doing yeah. it in the T car, but not me, sir. <laughs> uh speaking of let's get right to the news uh who put this the rock reference in here oh uh, that would be me nice yeah what's what what happened rob <laughs> uh so over the weekend i'm sure a bunch of us saw it uh who we were sending it to us but uh there was a there was historic uh car racing happening at uh, Monaco this weekend, mm. and that's where they, uh, as part of a number of events, they dust off classic racing cars, including uh, vintage F1 cars, and they tend to race cars from similar eras and similar class uh, against each other, and I've always thought this seemed like one of the most anxiety-inducing thing, things you can do, uh, because like these cars are like irreplaceable. Especially um, in Monaco, like when they do this at Silverstone, you're like, eh, what's going to happen? Bit of yeah. gravel, <laughs> but Monaco is quite the the venue for for this stuff. It, it attracts the stuff, but uh, you know, uh, Charles Leclerc was given a uh, he was given a very famous uh, Ferrari, Nicky Lauda's uh, championship winning Ferrari, um, and he wrecked it. <laughs> uh, so. Apparently, it was not his fault. Uh, the brakes failed uh, as he was coming into a corner, and the car went around, and it just sort of uh, backed into the wall pretty hard. It looks like it, uh, bro- it broke the rear wing. Um, it looks like it might have also messed up the suspension a bit. Uh, but, yeah, so they they took a they take a famous Ferrari out of the Ferrari archives, um and and wrecked it, but you know these things are meant to be raced. A, a broken true. rear wing on one of those looks really funny as well because it's so high and big that it just looks like the, there's a like a plastic bag or something flapping around the back of the thing. He also missed the pits; he didn't come in unless the pits were somewhere else or something. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they were pulling the cars out from somewhere else. But uh, I found it funny that he kept going because it was on the second last corner, and then he was like, "I'll I'll do another lap." <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're not getting back in the car after that, so maybe it's your only yeah, your only yeah. option. Good point. At his home, yeah, at home as well. Bummer for him. Yeah, I, hopefully, you know, they know that if those cars go out on track, there is some chance that they're gonna need some repair afterwards. So I'm sure they have, you know, how much? How much do you think those cars are? One, you know, are they're not 100 percent original parts, right? Yeah, good point. I wonder about that, though, because these things are so customized that, like... Well, probably not all original parts, but, like, custom-fabbed replacements, right? Gotta be. Maybe they all come from Marinello or something, you know what I mean? So it's like, maybe they they smolt down the original part and then create a new part from it. Uh, okay, and hold like, on. Uh, this was apparently not one of uh, Nikki's championship-winning Ferraris. <laughs> apparently, this is a shit Ferrari. Oh, <laughs> all right. Hey, yeah, who they, cares? How did Nikki add his name on the side of it? Yeah, is it just a replacement car? 
Bummer car. Uh, I mean, they gave it to someone like Charles Leclerc, so it doesn't get crashed. No, like, it just the- wasn't. They, it was not a year that Ferrari had a great car. Oh, okay. Uh, and apparently there have been <laughs> issues with uh, this vintage of Ferrari. John Lacey uh, had an accident in like a sister no car. No way. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So like, you know, I mean, this thing, this thing has maybe bad energy around it. I think mean, <laughs> I mean, we can we can let Charles off the hook. Uh, I love the this, idea this that in 40 to fail drivers. I, I love the idea that in 40 years we'll be sitting here doing this podcast and we'll be like, yeah, I can't believe like the latest, the latest kid, uh, uh, she crashed the, uh, the 2020 Williams. <laughs> like what was wrong? What was wrong? I don't know. She just said it was impossible to drive. I don't oh, know. Man, a classic new- F1 car, the 2020 <laughs> Williams, one of the most storied teams yeah, she jumped. She jumped down, and got in the twenty twenty one Haas. It was, uh, but then she crashed that one as well. It was weird. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't the twenty twenty three championship winning Haas. Oh my God! Don't Stephen. Could you imagine? <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Las Vegas, America, America. <laughs> uh, Rob, uh, I'm I'm led to believe that uh, there is some construction happening. Yeah. Um. So Formula One bought a huge plot of land, uh, like right right near the Strip in Vegas. Oh, oh, don't dig, don't dig. You don't know who you're gonna find, <laughs> uh, Danny. They're gonna dig. Um, they are basically going to be installing all the support infrastructure that the race will need, uh, like pit lanes, garages, paddocks, uh, trailer park, etc. So that they won't they they won't have to decamp uh you know from from a long way away from the track because right. there were apparently there's a major question about like how they're going to make this work uh, teams were antsy about uh there are stories that they might have a off site uh like garage area and park for May where right. they, like they're ferrying the cars a mile to the track uh before they can before they can be raced. But uh, Liberty ended up buying this this plot and are now going to be uh, not only building like the the infrastructure for the track, uh, but also like some of the stuff is going to be dual use uh, for for. It's going to say I almost like street races. like civilian purposes. It's going to be like <laughs> shops and stuff uh, when right. when not in use. Uh, so. They're they're going to basically have a proper like the resources of a proper like you know purpose built F one venue, uh, but but right there off the strip if all goes according to plan, and apparently this is this is like uh, they have a similar setup in Singapore, um, so that that is a this is a model they've used before uh, to enable these races. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I wish they showed off a bit more of the um, that type of thing, the like infrastructural, um, uh, logistical side of F one. But also, I understand that they maybe don't want to show just how much stuff has to get built and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, agreed. A um, couple interesting Formula E related. Yeah. Uh, news items here and i guess i would tack on a third uh number one mclaren has purchased um the mercedes formula e team Mm. 
uh, interesting. Uh, but also in Formula E news, we have uh, champion in 20... When did he win the championship in Formula E? Was it last year? Uh, Nick, Nick DeVries. Nick. He also won the Formula 2 championship and then did not get a Formula 1 seat. Um, but he will be running at the Spanish Grand Prix in a Williams as uh, a rookie driver in a practice session. So this is basically to, to be a Formula 1 driver, you not only have to qualify in super license points, which are assigned, they're given out based on how you finish in other racing series, you're assigned super license points. Uh, you have to have 40 of them. And the closer that your car is in that championship to Formula One car, the the more points you get. Nick DeVries has enough super license points. Uh, but you also have to have driven in a Formula One practice session. And there are certain uh, stipulations that say that teams have to give practice sessions to um, uh, rookie drivers. So that's what this is. Uh, I, it's no guarantee that he will be a, an F1 driver in the future, but it's the next step. Uh, it's, a, it's a necessary step for him um, to, to do that. So watch out for that. Uh, he uh, won it, in 2019, 2020. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is that Hazel Southwell, longtime Formula E reporter. Correspondent, yeah. Uh, is no longer covering Formula E. I, I did not uh, read uh, her article. I saw that it went up. Um, Rob, it sounds like you kind of got the gist. Yeah, I, I read it. It was... Um, so Southwell's been writing a few things that are just alarmed about the health of Formula E uh, for the last year. Like a lot of teams sort of leaving, um, just sort of a lot of signs that the that the sport's health is not uh, at its best. She came out of this Berlin weekend uh, sort of talking about the fact that covering the stuff as a freelancer requires there being a lot of demand uh, for the content she can create uh, on the back of these events. And it just isn't there. Yeah. Uh, that for her to continue to follow Formula E around the world uh, is a losing proposition. And it like, it's just unsustainable. Um, she, she has other work. She's not like quitting um, like motorsports journalism. She's not, quitting um like automotive journalism but formula e is just something she's uh putting down uh due to lack of demand uh and it is it's a painful thing because like uh you know this has been as she sort of outlines in her piece like uh this is a beat that she sort of created for herself uh, at a really important time in her life it is a thing she's taken a lot of justly taken a lot of pride in uh but the fact that the sport hasn't generated the interest to sort of uh, have there be demand for articles uh, and film that someone like Southwell can like sell um, is is really disappointing at the stage in the championships history. Yeah, I don't want to reduce it to like uh, this, but it is a bit of a like it, a canary in a coal mine situation. It's yes. when, when one of your greatest champions, <laughs> you know, at least from from my perspective, like Hazel's always been one of the people who has been like talking about Formula E, even when people aren't talking about Formula E and when she leaves it's kind of like oh but you can see it like if you if you charged the how Formula E has been doing you know I don't have any numbers or anything but just looking at how racing has gone for the past 
what is it, six years now, in terms of Formula One having a reinvention for itself. Indy has been doing yes. really well in building. I mean, let's, if anyone, everyone should go watch the extended highlights for the madness that happened this weekend in Indy. Um, MotoGP has been seemingly doing well. It seems like it is anyway. Um, and it's, it's yeah, for, for Formula E to be the first, for sort of the first of these electronic uh, races, that was trying to build the large audience that it requires. Like once you get past those early years of like investment years and you're not seeing it, I think, yeah, we're, we're entering wobbly territory, especially as other, you know, if Formula One continues to go down a somewhat green looking, uh, I'm putting up air quotes here, um, future, then, uh, you know, it, it becomes less fashionable to be sticking around in Formula E. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit worried for it too. Clearly, there just isn't that many, much of an audience for it at the moment. I think, like, uh, there is sort of a nasty chicken and egg situation, though, which is that, like, it does seem like a sport that's hard to follow. Um, you know, when I... Yeah, it is. It's hard to get to the go, right. It's harder now than it used yeah, to be. It, like, I never felt like I had a good sense of when races were airing or where they were racing because, like, there's that tier of sports that, like the major networks will throw on their like fourth tier cable channel sometimes yeah. at weird ESPN hours. You. Yeah. Uh, so you'll run into stuff like that. Not even. Um, but I think it's even worse now. It just, it like, it's been a thing that I, I, it would require a lot of effort to stay on top of it. And in the meantime, yeah, I can open up like Peacock and be like, there's IndyCar, there's sports car racing. Like it's, it's, it's right there. And formula mm. E for some reason, uh, has sort of lost that audience and now is in that sort of spiral where you can't get audience if nobody's exposed to you. Yeah, um, McLaren was apparently waiting until the introduction of the Generation 3 car. Yeah. Uh, which which just uh, which just happened. And I don't like it. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I do. It. I, most people seem to not like it. I think it looks stupid and I love it. But like, I think it should <laughs> look stupid. I think these cars should look like like sort of the the like a like a race car that you had in like your yeah. what do you call them here matchbox yeah cars yeah we called them dinkies in back home anyway like you'd have like some like futuristic looking thing you're like oh this looks stupid but I love it because it's silly looking it's got lots of wings I'm yeah I'm in camp love it uh I like <laughs> it like I understand why people like some of the shots I've seen of it like do look too weird uh but I do think it has a weird, um, you know how like the F twenty two or the F thirty five have those oh like my God, angular you're right. stealth. Yeah. Yes, you're right. This yeah. thing has that sort of like philosophy to like building the hull and the the aerodynamic profile, and so it does just look like a sci fi race car, and that is probably what a like Formula a, E car should look like. Yeah, I, like, and it look, you're I right. It looks like a Jet, the Gen two. Gen yeah, 2 emotionally sure. does nothing yeah. for me at all. Yeah, me too. It sparks nothing. Me too. Yeah, you're right. It does look like a jet. It has those, like, what I, I don't know what those wings are called that, like, point up, like, up, like, almost at a 45-degree angle, that one, for, like, mm-hmm. control or something. Yeah, like, maybe they're a- ailerons or something. I don't know what the hell those things are, if they move or anything. But, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, speaking of electric racing and looking cool, have you guys seen the opening round or any clips thereof, uh, the e-scooter championship that happened this past weekend? Uh, I, I have not seen much of it, but we have an email from somebody who listens to the podcast who went. <gasps> okay. 
Okay. So, do you want to? Uh, we, we can jump to it now if you want, or we can come back. What do you well, think? Let's jump to it now because I just I just put it, uh, a clip in the in the general chat here on Discord for us, uh, so you guys can can just see what it looks like. It's a. Uh, um, do you, Rob? I had this down for you. Do you want me to read it, or will do you want to jump in? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm scrolling it's down to find here. it. Yep, it's this one here. Hi, Speedy Race fans. Uh, this is from Nick in London. I live within walking distance of Printworks, so when I heard about the e-scooter championship on your last podcast, that sounded like a good way to spend a Saturday. Fun fact about Printworks, it used to be an actual newspaper print, but has since been gutted and is now most often used as a venue for day-long raves and occasionally other <laughs> events. I ended up having a really good time. It was pretty well attended, even if it sounded like a lot of people were there. Were there even if it sounded like a lot of the people there were a friend of a friend of someone working for the different teams. I was really impressed with their production. They had Skycam-like cameras over the main straight for drone-like shots, various metrics being recorded that they displayed on the large screens, onboard cameras, post-race interviews, etc. My favorite aspect of the event was the hall, which had the pit areas of the teams where the public was free to roam, and you could see the mechanics working on the scooters and the riders milling about as they were getting ready to race. Unfortunately, it was on the same day as Eurovision, so I couldn't stay for the after party. <laughs> Here's some photos and videos I took if you're interested in. They're really good. I spent, thank you, Nick. I spent uh, a decent amount of last night going through his little uh, Lightroom link because there was loads of videos of it. Um, yeah, it looked it looked neat. People, a lot of people uh, ate, ate shit going down the ramp at the start. <laughs> <laughs> like, like clearly, like they had practiced doing scooter racing, but the maybe the start of like going down a ramp um, was quite tricky. But uh, yeah, full helmets and everything. Yeah, I so I uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the. I think they put the entire thing up on YouTube. Oh, cool! Uh, the first uh, the first round. Um, yeah, here we go. I got a I got an hour and a half YouTube video here. <laughs> Um, wait, it's, wait. <laughs> sorry, Drew. What is this other link? Are we going to talk about that in a second? Yes, we are. Yes, okay, we are. Okay. Don't worry, we'll get to okay. that. Oh, okay. oh, wow. They've got they got uh, heats, qualifying, semifinals. Great. So it's all. It's it's all, all here. And for people who don't know, in case you weren't listening last week, this is this is individuals ra- racing on those annoying scooters that you that are littered all over your your town that just beep i don't know maybe this is an east bay <clears throat> or a bay area problem but i lived in london i know these were around too yeah like no the line i, I with feel the like things. the free scooter phenomenon yeah. has always been attended by like lots of noxious piles of scooters like i think the uh properly supporting the model has always been an issue i can't believe they didn't do a road rash thing where they're allowed to kick and fight <laughs> it's a bunch of irish cops uh ro- roaming around um, I, w- I was surprised them over it's uh the tracks are well they're purpose it looks purpose built for this um and they're not using the they had always shown in promotional shots photos that looked like they were on big old circuits yeah. which i guess makes a lot of sense that, you know that they're <laughs> they'd look like they were going very very slow uh, but these are much tighter it's like it's like the whole thing was scaled down so that they fit the way that a formula one car fits onto a formula one circuit you know yeah they're tight turns and like yeah look they're somebody just went up the inside of some but it's <laughs> it's not quite moto gp but it's you know there's there's leaning involved oh someone's down yeah, I, oh. the onboards they look. The, the production is good. I I'm impressed. I kind of want to watch this whole thing now. 
E-Scooter uh, Championship. Pick your team, everyone. But there's one more racing series I want to draw to everyone's attention. What is this, Drew, and where can I, I watch it? Oh, I, my God. I don't know. I have not found any information on it. All I saw was Colton Herta, previously mentioned, retweeting a video of what appears to be <laughs> is that chariot racing. Moped chariot racing? With, was- with motorcycles or mopeds as the horses. Yes. On dirt, and they looks. They've got like neon cable, LED threaded cables to the. Uh, yeah. So it's two unmanned motorcycles that are fused like together, together. Yeah. Um, with the outer handlebar of either one of them being connected back to a racer standing on like a platform behind the bikes. So as if the bikes are two horses in a chariot um and also for some reason it's at nighttime and yeah the the what would you call them the the reins i guess mm-hmm. of the motorbikes yeah. are are neon yeah this is incredible um, this is this is insane this looks like something out of a video game like you put in the wrong you press the wrong button and this got spat out it's also extremely well attended yeah i don't this must be at like this must this be a halftime show in, for something indie or something, yeah, because like there are literally hundreds of thousands of people watching this madness. Uh, I don't. Something about it says European to me. Maybe just, I just associate chariot racing with, <laughs> with uh, you know, Rome. But I'm just not used to seeing racing where they're not actually on the vehicle. Like the vehicle is just a. <laughs> it's a proxy yeah. for an animal. It looks so bizarre. What God is this? Colton Herta generating new new fun content for us even on an off day uh yeah it indycar is in such a good place right now but if you see nothing else from the highlights of this most recent race you need to see the colton herd adrift video you oh need to see god it is yes, one of the well. greatest open wheel racing moments i've seen in my goddamn life it was um, crazy <laughs> and the in-car like you realize how much goes into it in the in-car uh, to basically like it was this rainy race they had at the uh, the GP circuit at at Indy uh, tr- like it was mixed conditions the entire way through at no point yeah. in the race was it ever clear where you should bound like uh, slicks or wets um, <laughs> which I guess good argument for not having enters uh, by the way just leave people <laughs> yeah, lurching exactly. around uh, wrong footed <laughs> the entire race but he was running down Patricia Award uh, and seemed to like that car was going around like i don't ever see people like save that at least not not in a way that lets them continue to race against the person they're chasing and yeah he just counter steers through it uh you see in the in car he reverses his grip on the wheel uh to sort of control the snap it's it's unreal uh what he and he doesn't lose momentum no he, he, he executed the pass like a turn later that's crazy. Yeah, it's if you watch MotoGP, it, it's like the car equivalent of things that Mark Marquez does, right? To not crash, it's yeah, it's it's great, man. Well, speaking of Europe, let's talk about it, Danny. Yes, we're going back. We're going back to where Formula One began. Circuit de Barcelona. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> uh, it started a good forty years after those initial races in uh, up in Blighty, uh, but Barcelona, Barcelona, sorry, Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia has been with us for over thirty years, and it's kind of 
it's it's largely not changed. There are two parts of it that have changed a lot, um, and we'll talk about how they don't really fix the problems of those parts. But um, it's it's largely remained the same. Here's a fun factoid: uh, we don't, I don't do circuit turn names on most of these tracks. I think we might have for the first ever season of Alt F One or something. But um, I was just looking at the uh, the. I was just curious because I was like, I don't know any of the names of the of the turns in barcelona the first turn is called elf like a like a like a small mystical i don't support that creature like will elf. Ferrell. yeah like will Ferrell. the second turn is called reno which is also interesting because it's not france like the, man, the car manufacturer or like yeah. the beloved french film actor well, I mean, either way, why are they naming, you know, maybe this is an FU to Madrid or something. I don't know. I don't know a lot of Catalonian politics, but I, generally I didn't think the Spanish and French were that tight with each other. Um, although there is another turn called Nissan, so maybe, but they don't have that turn anymore. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, I digress. Uh, 66 laps, two DRS zones on this one, one on the main straight and one on a straight, which was added to the circuit quite a long time ago now, but um, wasn't the original configuration, which is a straight in the middle of the track, sort of your classic end of sector two uh, straights, not particularly long. Um, there's not a lot of overtaking going into that one traditionally, but I think we might, it might be different this year. Uh Drivers love Barcelona. It's where they do their preseason testing. It is a sort of mainstay of the of the calendar. It's very popular, as Rob said, in other motor disciplines as well. It's a great MotoGP circus, although they change quite a lot of it for that as well. Um, and it's a nice mix of high and low speed corners. So there are low speed corners in here, especially in sector three, which has been modified in more recent years and uh, modified again, actually. Was it last year or two years ago? They changed turn 10. Um into a more sort of uh, uh, technical, let's say, section, uh, which might prove uh, tricky for them in the new cars. I'm not quite sure. It's downhill in there as well, so it's always been a little bit tricky with with um, uh, in terms of downforce. But we'll see. I feel like at this stage they've they've gotten to grips with the low speed uh, issues with these cars. Um, but because there's a lot of high speed corners, um, it's it has been one of these tracks which has produced some boring races while drivers have been trying to cool their cars off a bit because it's also not ex- it's a it's one of the warmer races um for the start of the of the season or at least it was traditionally so it'll be interesting to see again it's going to be another one of these oh okay will this be different here like kind of like albert park where it's like oh, will they be able to actually follow a bit closer will it open up stuff like uh turn 10 after that first drs zone into uh somewhere where you can actually pull off an overtake or Will it be like previous years where that main DRS straight down to turn one is basically the place where most of the overtakes happen? And then once you're out of turn one, it's impossible to get past somebody until at the earliest feasible time would have been like turn nine. So I'm interested because if you watch other race series where they don't go as fast, there is overtaking all over the place here. Um, And we just don't see it in F1. So again, I'm kind of throwing my hands up and saying... I don't know, hopefully these new F1 cars are able to take advantage of some of the aspects of this track, which as much as the drivers like to drive around it, for a viewer on F1, um, it's not generally the most exciting uh, track. But I've always loved it. I've always loved Barcelona. I don't know why. Well, uh, the excitement is not going to be uh, improved by the weather. 
Mm. Uh, looks like for qualifying time, it's going to be about 84 degrees Fahrenheit or 29 Celsius with 0% precipitation. Zero. And uh, about, looks like a fairly stiff wind, 16 kilometers an hour, or 10 miles an hour out of the south. Um, and nearly identical conditions on race day. Cool beans. High 80s or high 20s, no precipitation, and same wind. Yeah. We're used to that here as well, right? What are we? May. May in yeah. Spain. It's a pretty good time. All the Germans and English people are packing up their their towels, ready to put them by the pool. <laughs> it's almost time. Well, yeah. uh, ahead of the Spanish Grand Prix, let us run down the driver standings. Here we've got Leclerc on top of the driver's championship with 104 points to Max Verstappen's 85 Sergio Perez is in third with 66, followed by George Russell with 59. Mm. Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 53. And then a big jump down to Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 36 points, just ahead of Lando Norris in seventh with 35. Mm. Valtteri Bottas is in eighth with 30. Esteban Ocon has 24. And Kevin Magnussen is in tenth with 15 points. Then we've got Ricardo with 10. I'm sorry, 11. Tsunoda with 10. Gasly with 6. Sebastian Vettel with four. Alex Albon in 15th place with three points. Alonso and Stroll are tied with two. Zhuguan Yu in 18th place with one point. Then we've got Schumacher, Latifi, and Nico Hulkenberg with zero points. Mm. In the Constructors' Championship, Ferrari is on top with 157 to Red Bull's 151. Neck and neck. We've got Mercedes in third with 95. McLaren's in fourth with 46. Uh, Alfa Romeo's in fifth with 31. Then we've got Alpine with 26. Alpha Tauri with 16. Gene Hawson team with 15 points. Aston Martin's got six. And Williams has three. Ooh la la. Yes. If you'd like to join the standings yourself, you can hop into our fantasy league using the link in the show notes. Or you can send us an email, Danny. You can shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or F1.cool slash emails. Drew, do you want to take this first one from Joe? Yes, I do. Joe says, first off, thanks again for the podcast. You're welcome, Joe. It always makes my week. Oh, that's nice. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch the podium ceremony at the end of the Miami GP. Uh, neither did I. Uh, but I saw on Twitter today that instead of the usual Pirelli podium baseball hats, they usually give them the podium sitters ended up wearing American football helmets painted <laughs> like typical hats. I wonder if the organizers at other races will take this and run with it. I can just see cowboy hats at Austin and maybe some sombreros in Mexico. What do you guys think? Will this become a new trend? I didn't see the football helmets. Um... Uh, live, but I did see a picture, and I will try to find an image of that. The sombreros uh, already a thing, right? I feel like yeah, the sombreros are a thing. Yeah, I I feel like I've seen certainly I've seen Daniel Ricardo wearing a cowboy hat, but I think they they have done that on in the past as well. I I do feel I, it, this brought up an interesting question in my head where I was like, it is a good point that like oftentimes I don't really get a sense of the culture of the country through the the race weekend like the, the the track and it's you know 
its qualities are what sort of get brought to the forefront because yeah. each track is different and the cars race differently there. And sometimes the weather is an aspect of it. But it's true. It's not like it's not like I get much like we get much Belgian fare at Spa. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not yeah. like the F1 race stars version of this, you know, that, that old <laughs> Xbox 360 game. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Where where like it's sort of like it's it's really front and center, which I guess is maybe by design but you know i like that stuff i like when they you know sort of do a bit of cultural uh, highlighting or making making this week novel and making you feel like it is that traveling circus that we we kind of that aspect that we enjoy yeah i think the only thing you get in that respect is like the uh, the sky sports intro or the the old nbc sports network they used to do sort of a uh here's some b-roll of the country uh f1 itself just says like the the flyovers um and like indie races i don't know i feel like there's always in the the leading up to it it's always that uh (laughs) showing some some barbecue or whatever right yeah maybe i've maybe it's just because i'm hot off eurovision and i'm just like you know did you watch eurovision i watched the highlights i never watched you know i watched the whole thing oh my god wow twice (laughs) Wow. Once with my family, once with my friends. You sicko. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your vision's a lot stuff. different to what it was when I was growing up. I'm not saying it was, not saying it's not better, but Ireland used to win it. <laughs> <laughs> now we don't qualify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I'll take this next one. Sure. From Ewan in Scotland. I recently got back into F1 and started listening to the pod again after about a five year hiatus. I think I only ever listened to the old days, the old alt F1 days. Uh, on the grid, there are 11 drivers that are brand new to me. With Alonso, wow. Vettel, Hamilton surely retiring in the next few years, I imagine there will be even more new young drivers on the way. Does it feel like this has been a period of particularly high turnover? Or is this just how F1 goes when you stop watching for a few years? Does it feel like a different generation to you? Which of the young drivers will stay in the sport for years to come? And who will be a footnote in F1's history? Thanks, Ewan in Scotland. Um, I feel like this has been pretty typical of F1, that, that you sort of have your cream of the crop who rise to the top and stick around for, you know, their entire professional careers. And then you have this sort of underneath them, a level of, uh, of folks who you're not quite sure you're, you know, you're, you're Kevin Magnuson's, you're Nico Hulkenberg's, you're Pastor Maldonado's, you know, who kind of enjoy a, a fruitful amount of years, but then ultimately sort of get pushed aside by some young new prospect. Um, and then the one thing I feel like we don't have nearly as much as we did certainly 30 years ago and even maybe 10 years ago are the sort of one-hit wonder drivers. You know, a driver who come in, get a season, and are so bad that they just, <laughs> they kick them out. I feel like the the new sort of uh, schools, F1 schools, you have these young prospects coming through who are, you know, given more of a chance or in the case of like Red Bulls have a second team that they can just dump them on so it's not like they disappear entirely um but yeah I feel like it's it's this is kind of how it goes if you you know if if you if you stick around long enough yeah the names change a lot like if you go back and watch a race yeah five years ago you go back and watch a race 10 years ago it's like you'll recognize two drivers and you know it's just how it works there are so many drivers from like eras where I watch but like when I'm reminded that Pedro de la Rosa 
was an <laughs> F1 driver. I was like, oh, yeah, he was. I remember him. Yeah. Like, F1 is always full of, like, those sort of mid-grid, back-of-grid characters who, yeah. like, wash in and wash out. And I, I think you'd be surprised how, like, the how wild and inconsistent the, the grid in the 90s would feel year to year. Uh, yeah, totally. Like, you, like, and, and I think, to your point, Danny, teams were so much less invested in the future of their drivers uh, back then. It was literally just, like... We will we'll give you a shot, and it was literally like one shot, and then you're just sort of chucked uh, out out the door because there are always more F1 drivers. Now these development programs uh, require so much buy-in from the teams at every stage uh, that they really move heaven and earth to try to get these guys race seats um, in F1 or F1 adjacent so they can be tapped later. Which, yeah, in the 90s, it was like, you either got it or you don't. If you don't got it, uh, good luck. Maybe you can be the third driver on a sports car team. (laughs) Uh, Just for fun, let's go back to the Spanish Grand Prix 10 years ago and have a look at the grid. Um, Okay. okay. And see what's... We'll go go back to top, so we'll have some more obscure ones probably near the end. Uh, 22 racers, so let's go go from the the bottom. Um, Position 22, Pedro de la Rosa, as you just mentioned. Timo Glock. Uh, mostly hey, famous. I know him in one context <laughs> for Hamilton winning the yeah. Uh, Charles Peak, Heiki uh, sure. Kovalainen, mm-hmm. uh, Vitali Petrov, Bruno Senna, Felipe Massa, two Brazilians together. Daniel Ricardo. Wow, must wow. be his first season, was it? That's I didn't think he was that that long in it. Uh, Jean Eric Verne, uh-huh. Nico Hulkenberg, uh, Paul Daresta. <laughs> which most people now now know as a commentator slash analyst. Um Mark Weber, Jensen Button, Kamui Kobayashi, Michael Schumacher in the Mercedes, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Nico Rosberg, rounding out all the Germans, Sergio Perez, Kimi Raikkonen, Roman Grosjean. There's a lot more drivers actually here than than I thought. Uh, Roman Grosjean getting third. Fernando wow. Alonso getting second and in first place, Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> um, Lewis Hamilton uh, was uh, uh, disqualified, uh, I think, for this one or something happened. I forget. He was disqualified from Quali, wasn't he? Wasn't that what happened? Yeah. I don't oh, know. I've never gone sorry. back and watched this. I've always meant to. Sorry, I read out the qualifying classifications. That's why I got okay. that's why but 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 that's yeah, yeah. What happened was yeah, he got his final lap uh disqualified, Hamilton did, which is why uh, Maldonado landed on pole. But Maldonado did <clears throat> and end up ultimately winning this race. It was a great race. Him and him and Alonso were ge- genuinely fighting. And it was like good strategy, good tire strategy, good race strategy, good driving. Uh and yeah, uh, we gave us the greatest podium celebration of all time. <laughs> Pastor Maldonado on top of the shoulders of Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen. Incredible. Yeah. Nuts. So yeah, there was actually more familiar names there than I expected. Yeah, like I, I was kind of surprised. I expected to hear a lot more uh, like, oh yeah, I remember him. No, I remember pretty much all those guys. Uh just you know, I remember them for not some of them not for not doing a ton, but for for being there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's we're we're a long way away from the the heady days of Luca uh, Bador uh, being given that Ferrari seat in lieu of Schumacher. Um, 
as a reward for time served at Ferrari and being the worst F1 driver in modern history. <laughs> uh, Drew, you got to read this one out from Sean. Yes, Sean writes, Hey crew, longtime listener who wanted to explain the Heineken 0.0 ads on many an F1 track. 0.0 is not, as Danny surmised, the blood alcohol content you should have before you drive, though it is true. Uh, I think that was me, maybe. I think it was that. you, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an ad for Heineken's zero alcohol brand, Heineken 0.0. I received a complimentary case at a drive-in concert I went to in 2021, <laughs> though I was surprised to find that zero alcohol beer is surprisingly popular in the world with a beer market share of around 10% because people sometimes apparently like the taste of beer without the alcohol effects. I believe that some racetracks and car-based events are prohibited from advertising alcoholic drinks, and the 0.0 product that exists both gets around this limitation and hedges against the risk that alcoholic beverage advertisements will get banned outright, similar to tobacco advertisements. Mission Winnow says hi. Mm. It's certainly not Heineken's fault if people see Heineken 0.0 ads on track and spontaneously decide they want an alcoholic Heineken beverage, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, it, ma- yes. it makes a Thank lot more you, sense to me. Yeah, that it's like a little workaround or something. There was also, oh, what was it? It was in the, I think it was a Bahrain round and one of the, was it Carlos Sainz's car? There's like a, it's like a Modelo, they have a Modelo sponsorship or something and they also have like a um not a seltzer but it's like uh like an orange juice or something and they okay. they swapped to that instead because oh, you aren't allowed to have uh alcoholic advertisements in a lot of the uh uh islamic states right yeah um, yeah it's a uh, the yeah i feel like like cigarette companies should like start like making lighters or something like something that's like adjacent you know just have like advertising for all these lighters that you could buy You're like all this winnowing you, that we're doing you know, exactly yeah exactly for all the camping you know you know, you can use lighters for lots of things a nice candle maybe they should sell candles that smell like cigarettes so many workarounds <laughs> um and then we got this email from candace which i'm just going to go as fast as possible through oh because- oh this is awesome i love emails like this this is great yeah, should we? Okay, let's. Uh, how do you want to do this? Well, I I was going to answer them, but do you want to? Do you want to? We can go roundtable on this, maybe. maybe? Roundtable, yeah. Sure. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, Candace has a lot of questions. I'm one of those people who jumped on the bandwagon since Strive to Survive. Can you explain some things? Awesome. Welcome, Quest- Candace. Question one: What happens when there's a lockup? I just can't tell it's happening because there's white smoke. A lockup, Drew. Okay, uh, a lockup is when you hit the brakes. And your tires stop moving. So there's no anti-lock brakes on F1 cars, which anti-lock brakes work by like slowly moving your tire just a little, little bit. And so you don't, you don't skid. Uh, so you don't want to skid when you hit, when you're on the freeway and you hit the brakes. Um, but since F1 cars don't have that, uh, they do, they do skid. And, um, it happens if you've, you've come into fast into a corner and you're really jamming on the brakes, uh, or it happens when your tires are worn and you just don't have the grip that you used to. Um, your, your tire will stop moving. It will skid along the ground, producing the smoke. And it will also result in a flat spot uh, where the, the skid happened. And that as it goes around and around, thump, 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 it causes a lot of vibrations, which is really bad. So generally, either the driver is trying very, very hard, uh, has misjudged something, or their tires are very old. Nice. 
All right. And this white smoke is is just fucking tires. It's the baby. tire smoke. Yeah. Tire smoke. Uh, okay. I'll take this one. Are they changing gears on the steering wheel by pressing the button on the right? Also, braking with the left side of the steering wheel? Is there a clutch? Um, I think it so, touches yeah, on they, the next question, too. Oh, yeah, and the next question is, uh, um, how many pedals are there for the feet? Okay, so the there are two pedals on the in an F1 car. One's accelerating, one's brake. There is a clutch on the steering wheel, but it doesn't work like a regular clutch. Like, you don't have to clutch for every gear. It's only ever used for starting the race, and also if they need to put the car in reverse. Um, it's a button on the back of the wheel. Um, the two paddles like on either side... Yeah, uh, the yeah. two paddles on either side of the uh, steering wheel are the gear up and gear down. So gear up, I believe, is on the right. Gear down is on the left. Um, so they do their own gears. Uh, F1 cars have eight gears, let's say, right? I think we're up to eight. Eight, no higher. Seven or eight, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so the braking is on the pedal. The acceleration is on the pedal. Clutches, the you never hardly ever use it. They use it for the start when they're trying to get their biting point, uh, which is why sometimes they don't go as fast as they want. But once they're driving, they're just using the gear paddles on the sides. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, Rob, this one. When the cars are in the paddock, there is a book-like screen. They lower down in front of the drivers. What the heck is it? Uh, so the... Paddock is full of like data screens showing various like telemetry information about like what the car has been doing on track. Uh, you can like it can bring up current track conditions, etc. Uh, that entire thing is like a giant interface where the driver can review uh, like session notes on their previous outing. Uh, they can monitor what other drivers are doing. Uh, basically, it is a way for the driver to stay in and stay in the car and see what their engineers are, are seeing uh, and sort of look at their own performance uh, without sort of having to dismount and like go over to the workstations uh, that are sort of all around the garage. So yeah, that, that entire thing is basically uh, the monitor setup for, for an F1 driver. Terrific. Uh, next one is for Drew with the car so loud. How is it so quiet on the radio when the drivers talk? This is a good question. That is a good question yeah. uh, that I don't nec- I don't exactly know the answer to. I, I imagine it's it's two things maybe. Um, one, the microphone's in the helmet, uh, so that probably muffles a lot of the sound, um, and it's probably pretty close to their mouths as they're talking. Uh, and maybe they do some noise cancellation. You know, uh, uh, the engine is like a a steady drone a lot of the time, uh, which is easy for computers to to mask mm-hmm. out, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am also impressed with uh, with the the fidelity of the radio. Sometimes you, you go to other racing series and they have, uh, I guess, lower lower uh, quality gear, cheaper gear, and uh, like W series, their radios uh, are are much scratchier. Right. So they use yeah. some good stuff in F1, I guess. And next one says, looks like they had something put. Sorry, looks like they had something put in the driver's seat area that looked like it was dry ice. Is there a drink? Is that their drink? Is there a long straw that is sticking into the helmet? Um, so the dry ice thing, I'm wondering if you're referring to the air amplifier, which are these guns that basically shoot cool air, um, generally used to cool down things like the brakes, but they also do use them with dry ice sometimes to cool down the driver's seat prior to the driver getting in. Sometimes they put them when the driver is in the seat as well. Um, but uh, it is dry ice that's used there. Um, they do have a drink. It is uh, attached to the inside of the car, I'm pretty sure. It's not attached to the driver, but there is a hose hookup which goes 
uh, which is connected outside of their suit, which goes into the suit and into the helmet, um, which they're able to press a button for it to basically make the drink come out. But that is not stuck to the driver. If they get out of the car, basically, like, very easily comes loose, which in Kimi Räikkönen's case is very annoying because it keeps kept coming loose while he was driving the car. Um Rob. There's a good uh, illustration of that whole system that I retweeted recently from uh, Craig Scarborough, who does a lot of great technical drawings uh, oh, that nice. I can put in the show notes. Yeah, I always wonder, did they sometimes put a little something else in the drink? Like, not I was not, <laughs> not Heineken 0.0, but like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of juice or something, like give it a bit of something. Probably not. You ever Probably tried not. to ke- clean a camel back? Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, That's a good point. I, like, yeah. if anyone solved this. I'm sure it's F1 teams, but I like I just suspect they would be leery of even doing like an electrolyte formula uh, for, for these things just because they like d- you think they use the same bag race after race. This is F1. They uh, just throw true. it they on the- just rip that out, toss it straight in the nearest landfill. Yeah. yeah, they could sell it on eBay for like 500 million Kimi Raikkonen's old drink bag. Um, <laughs> Rob, are each of the engineers who talk to the drivers one of the mechanics? Um, no, the race engineer is sort of a special role within the team. Now, a lot of times these people come up through the mechanic, uh, like through, through the mechanic, uh, career path. Uh, there's, there's a few paths, uh, through, through an F1 team. There's a lot of different disciplines, but no, the race engineers, uh, are sort of the supervisors for the teams of mechanics. Uh, they're also sort of the, uh, pivot point between like, the team and the driver uh, sort of filtering information between the two. Uh, but the predominant like thing that is most important is that they need to be literate in a bunch of the aspects of like the car design and setup uh, so that they can custom like tune the car for the uh, driver's uh, preferences and specifications and the feedback uh, they are getting uh, that they're having after each session. So yeah, sometimes the engineer is an ex mechanic. Uh, sometimes it's somebody who's uh, come through the the organization along a different a different path. Uh, this next one, uh, great question. I had to Google this. How hot are the tire warmers? I was like, yeah, it's a good point. Can you touch one of these things, or are they like probably not? Uh, so I looked it up. Apparently, they generally heat the tires up to at least eighty degrees Celsius. So that's one hundred and seventy-six Fahrenheit. <laughs> so no, the answer is do not touch these things. <laughs> um, generally, the drivers apparently are trying to get the tires up to about 100 degrees centigrade, uh, so 212 Fahrenheit, uh, once they're on the track. So apparently somewhere between 80 and 100, or I guess 176 and 212 is where the tire warmers are, but generally closer to the lower end. And then the drivers, that, once they're out on track, get a little bit. That blew my mind when I learned that. Boiling. That crazy? They're trying to get them boiling. Yeah, literally 100 degrees centigrade. That's, yeah. That's the boiling point of water. That's like yeah. terrifying. Um, Drew, I hear they have to protect the hard tires until some of the tread wears off. Huh? Do they have? Uh, do they dr- have to drive slower so they have to let others pass them? Too? Yeah, it's like the question of like what if they have to? Yeah, what's what's up with protecting tires or yeah. protecting hard tires? So yeah, you'll you'll hear them say that you know uh, he'll have to protect the tires or. Um, you know, their, their team is saying, yeah, you got to protect these or, or, uh, make them last long. Mm. Um, there is Manage no tread them. on a, on a dry weather tire. It's, uh, it's just, it's just flat because you want as much tire coming in contact with the, uh, with the road as possible. 
because that gives you the most amount of grip. The wet weather tires are grooved and they're grooved so that they throw water away. They kind of suck it up and spit it out. That's why they're grooved. Um, so F1 is a lot about uh, tire management. Um, and it's it's a little bit of an opaque art to the to the non-racer, I would say. But it's you can you can wear out a tire much faster if you are treating it poorly and that that would mean like um you know coming into a corner uh really quickly and so you're you're having to uh slam on the brakes not so much to cause a lockup but you know to to wear it out or you're you're defending um you know more aggressively uh a, a car behind and and um just moving laterally on the tire uh and so you you want to both not wear it down but also get it into uh the right temperature especially in the the first few laps when you come out of the pits um and so it's it's just a lot of uh i guess feeling out where the tire is and it's in its overall health uh to get it to last as long as um you need it to last for your particular stint did I did I explain that okay? Yeah, I feel like I kind of rammed a lot there. I mean, but. The way the way I used to visualize it was: imagine your road car instead of having normal tires, you had tires made of chalk. Imagine you had to drive home with that. Like you would, you'd probably drive quite at a quite like st- standard speed. You'd try not to brake a lot because you'd like flat spot the tires. You'd try not to drive like aggressively into turns because you'll make like indentations on the tires. And by the time you get home, it'll just be this bouncy, horrible mess. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of similar to those. It's like smooth, good driving where you're not constant, you're not edging off on turns or braking hard or that type of thing. Um, and then also just heat and temperature with the with, with regards to the tires, like the optimal heat, like the heat of the tire is is connected to its wear. So sometimes they just need to get the cars to be, the tires to be cooler, be that getting out of the the wake of another car, um, or just not driving them as hard. I guess I should specify. Um, uh, Candace does say tread wearing off the 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 rubber does wear off. Yes, yes. they are not grooved. There is no tread, but the the rubber itself does you know, wear off. And that's how you get those little pieces of rubber discarded uh, off the racing line uh, that they call marbles. Because if you drive over them, uh, it, it makes it feel like you're on ice. Uh, Rob, I don't get the DRS area. It's not like they can turn it on right when they enter that area, is it? Guess what I'm asking is, how does the designated DRS area relate to when they can flip open the rear wing? So the thing to get about DRS is that it is... A gimmick that was introduced when these cars could not pass each other, like, mm. and that might it might make less intuitive sense now because the cars can run more closely. But when DRS came in to the sport ages ago, a car following another car, unless it was like massively more powerful in terms of engine, really couldn't get passes done. So they created the DRS to aid overtaking. So the DRS zones are designated as these places where the wing snaps open, drag is reduced, uh, and so the car gets effectively a speed boost uh, as it goes through there. The idea was always it's there to help you execute a pass. If there's no other car there to pass, you do not get this bonus. Uh, it is just an aid for the for the overtaking. So to judge how you, like, when DRS is eligible to be deployed 
um, what they created were DRS detection zones to see whether or not you're in passing distance, uh, one second, being within one second of the car ahead of you. Because DRS zones are on straights um, and people are, are powering out of a corner usually as they enter a straight, a straight, the distance between two cars tends to extend briefly uh, as one car is still slowly going through a corner and the other is execute, uh, is, is sort of speeding away. So they create the detection zone usually before that corner uh, to see how close these cars are running on track. Uh so that the DRS zone is just used for the DRS on the following straight. Uh, so, yeah, that's why they have these detection points that are separate from the areas where that wing can snap open. Because the DRS detection zone is to see, hey, is this person like in striking distance of getting uh, a pass done here? And if the answer to that is yes, then on the ensuing straight, uh, the following car will have will have DRS, so that's that's kind of how that works. Yeah, the only difference is in qualifying, they're allowed to use it, but uh, when there's no other car in front of them, in case she was getting thrown by that. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And yeah, you can actually see the the DRS de- detection line uh, painted on yeah. on the track, and there are there are. Um, uh, little styrofoam boxes on the edge of the track that say DRS to nice. show you where the zones are. Uh, Candace finishes by saying, I really did like that primer episode. It was very helpful information. <laughs> I'm glad awesome. It's like primer plus. This is just like a little... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no bad and no bad questions in, F- in F1. Not on this podcast anyway. This is this is perfect because uh, now we know what to include or hit harder <laughs> right. in the, uh, the primer next time. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like QA for that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. So, thank you for, for sending in that. We like answering questions. It's kind of been the ethos of the channel, for the or the podcast for the whole time is that we're sort of um, we're we're newbie friendly. We're newbies ourselves in many ways. Um, so it's uh, it's always fun to answer those ones. Uh, and those are our emails. Shift up phone podcast at gmail dot com. Send them in after Spain. Yes, you could also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got the World Rally Championship always kicking off the race weekend because they start on Thursdays. Uh, yeah. Rally de Portugal. This oh, weekend. Oh, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> Why in Porto? Uh, then we've got the Camping World Trucks at the Texas Motor Speedway for the SpeedyCash.com 200. Mm. Sure, that's on the up mm. and up. Love payday uh, loans. Payday loans are <laughs> awesome. We love them. We have the World Superbike Championship there in uh, Cerquito Estoril Ooh, yeah. in Portugal. Portugal. Classic track. Destination. Uh, we've got DCM. DCM is racing the Lausitz Ring. Where we're racing? The Lausitz Ring in oh boy, Skipkau. Oh Skipkau, of course. Yeah, yeah. I love Skipkau. My auntie lives there. Formula Two and Formula Three are joining Formula One this weekend at Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. Huzzah! The NASCAR Xfinity Series. That's like NASCAR 2. They're also the Texas Motor Speedway for the SRS Distribution 250. 
Love it. It's my favorite distribution. We've got the supercars of Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> uh, they're at the Winton Motor Raceway in Winton, Winton Victoria. Love it. Australia. Dario Ricardo loves it. Winton. <laughs> We've got Super Formula at Autopolis. Oh my God. There's no better name track. Look at that. It's like a Pixar movie. Autopolis. Yes. Uh, which I believe is in the uh, auto prefecture. <laughs> K- Kaminoda Hita Oita prefecture. Oh, I'm reading this. Sweeta Oita. That's right. Uh, w Series mm. is pairing with Formula One this weekend as wow, well. Boy, everyone's there. The, yeah, all the uh, all the support races are here. Hey, Formula E, Formula E, you doing it? Oh, you can't race on track. Sorry, okay, they can't come. No, sorry. And we got NASCAR. Oh my. Don't forget NASCAR. Also at the Texas Motor Speedway in Fort Worth. SRS or something else. We getting a different no. sponsor. Oh, oh it's loans. special. It's okay. special. It's the NASCAR All-Star Race. Oh, my God. Bringing back the greats. Te- Texas won the pennant, so that's why they're racing there. Stuff all those old-timers back in their cars. Let's drive. Uh yeah, that's it. I will I will see if I can pull up the uh, TV channels for W series and try to. I I posted the um how to watch mm. uh W series one. They got the that W great, series. They have a good webpage the, for figuring that out. Yeah, Sky yeah, Sports so it now. Looks like Sky Sports F one and if in the UK and Ireland and it's ESPN, right? Yes, they're on ESPN now. Ah. W series is we've got I guess this is qualifying on Saturday on ESPN three which I think is the web only thing and I don't see another one I will I will look into this ESPN three the web (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but Formula One is airing this weekend kicking off Friday May 20th Uh, free practice one at 8 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN two followed by Mm. free practice two at 11 a.m. on ESPN U that's you out there. Me? Okay. Uh, Saturday, May 21st, free practice 3 is 7 a.m. Eastern time on ESPNU, followed by qualifying at 10 a.m. on ESPN2. Then we've got the race, everyone, Sunday, May 22nd at 9 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, the deuce. God damn it, right in the middle of the final day of the Premier League. How dare they do this? Mm. That is, not that I have much, as an Arsenal fan, I don't have much to look forward to on that day, but still... I want to watch it. Want, it's the one day of the year where they do all the games at the same time. So that, oh, wow. there, can, so that, that there could be no shithousery. <laughs> there can be no like, ah, <laughs> oh, we'll just play out a draw. You know, we'll both get into, you know, we'll both survive. So they make them all stay, play at the same time. It's awesome. Is that like, is that like uh, this, when the Super Bowl happens and the streets of America are deserted? Does yeah, that happen I, there? I would, I would say it is the... I don't know the FA Cup final might be watched more as an event but I don't know maybe not because yeah all the game yeah maybe it is actually you're right it, it, it we you tend to have your own bubble that you're worried about a bit um or maybe everyone's watching a title decider 
something like that. But it's great because like you'll have, there was years ago, the famous one was when Man United and Man City were both trying to win the championship and Man City had never won the championship in like decades and got all this Saudi money and they had this great team. And it went down to, they were losing in like the 90th minute, 89th minute, and they scored two goals in four minutes. So they kept cutting back to the to Old Trafford, Man United Stadium to be like, okay, they've won their game. They think they're going to, you know... You'll see like relegation battles mm-hmm. going on where like all the all the opposite team uh, uh, spectators are like on their phones or holding radios up to their ears to hear if the other team has scored or oh, wow. is a draw. Yeah, so you you get these amazing final day dramas happening where like it all just you know accumulators are happening almost all over the place. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Is is there a channel that's just like the wall from Back to the Future Two with every game up <laughs> all at the same time? Yeah, the they tend to bounce around a bit on most of them, especially near the end. And then yeah, there's a couple. There's what the there's your sort of uh, your red zone equivalent, um, where mm. it's a bunch of guys screaming into uh, into microphones for you know ex football players generally for like the whole thing. It's a good time. So yeah, I'll be double screening this Sunday for sure. Great. Well. That's enough screaming into microphones for us. If you'd like to support the show uh, and get access to all of our bonus episodes. Oh, I forgot. Final thoughts. Upcoming. Spain. Yeah, Spain. I, like, I like Spain. I don't know why. I, I, I feel like I'm always excited by Spain. And then Spain happens. I'm like, yeah, it was Spain. Cool. All right. Monaco's next. So <laughs> I, I never linger on if Spain is not entertaining or not. I think there's been enough good races here. I do hope, though, that these new cars can, you know, open up some of the possibilities on this circuit which we've not really enjoyed in a while uh final thoughts rob yeah um similar similar feeling i i still feel like sector three uh is the enemy of close racing i'm hoping that like things have felt so different with the new aero package that like it would be great if uh you know f1 were able to have good races at such a like famous uh and well-known venue yeah yeah i don't know i'd like to be surprised we we shall see uh if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official shift f1 discord you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift f1 have a good race weekend everyone we will see you all next week meow